my name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Members to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I'm speaking with John Rennie. John is a business leader, best-selling author, speaker, and podcaster. He is the co-founder, president, and CEO of Peak Demand Incorporated, a premier manufacturer of critical components for electrical utilities. He is a former U.S. Navy nuclear submarine officer who made seven deployments during the end of the Cold War. Prior to starting Peak Demand, he led eight manufacturing businesses for three global companies. He is the author of two best-selling leadership books, I Have the Watch, Becoming a Leader Worth Following, and All in the Same Boat, Lead Your Organization Like a Nuclear Submariner. He is the host of the Deep Leadership Podcast. John successfully brings his unique Navy leadership experience to the business world. On a submarine crew, officers and sailors work together in cramped spaces and challenging conditions to accomplish complex missions with no room for failure. John learned quickly that the basic underlying principles for success at sea also led to high-performing teams on land. So we're going to dig into leadership. I think we're going to go pretty deep, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> It, it, there was some pun intended on that one. Um, but John, thank you very much uh, for coming on. And uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation. So welcome. Thanks, Dave. I'm looking forward to talking to you about this. So uh, I, I always like to start off where it all began. You know, where, where were you born and raised? What did your parents do? And really, what set you on this path to becoming a submariner? Yeah, it's it's uh, kind of funny because I, I um, there's nobody in my my past history that ever was in on submarines. So, uh, but I grew up in New England, actually in New Hampshire, and uh, I grew up in a very much a blue collar family. My um, my father was uh, an electrician for the electric utility, which probably is the reason why I'm still in the utility kind of business today. But uh, my father was uh, worked as an electrician. My mother was a nurse. And um, just had a typical childhood in, in New England. But the thing is, my grandparents uh, lived in the same town as my parents. And they were, they were young when they had my parents. So they were fairly young. Uh, I was, uh, and my parents were young when they had me. So I had young grandparents. And I grew up with two grandfathers that both served in World War II. And as, um, you know, as a young boy, I was fascinated with the stories of World War II and, and hearing their stories. And I was just a curious kid. And I wanted to know everything they did. One was in the Navy and one was in the Army. And uh, I just got to hear all their stories and, and um, just what they did. And, 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 and um, you know, I knew kind of early on that I was going to do that, that I was going to go in the military, because that's something that, that I just always said, that's something that was really unique in their history that I wanted to do as well. I wanted to serve my country. And um, 
but um you know uh i didn't know i didn't i didn't know what i was going to do but um i started researching like when i was just young maybe in getting into junior high school i started reading these stories about submarine crews in world war ii and the missions they went on my grandfather was not a submariner he was on surface ships but but I kept reading these stories of like both in the Atlantic and Pacific, but mostly in the Pacific theater, these daring raids that these submarine commanders went on and, you know, how many submarines we lost and, but, but yet how much damage they did to the enemy. And I just kept thinking about what a fascinating, um, you know, thing to do is to be part of a submarine crew and want to go on these daring missions. And back then, you know, the cold war was on, you know, and uh, we had this big battle, you know, we had this cold war between these two superpowers and submarines were a big part of it. And I just said, I want that in the worst way. I want to become a submarine officer. So I just, I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't have anybody in my history that's ever been, you know, an officer or, or submarine officer. So I had to figure out, okay, what do I need to do? And one of the things you need to do is you had to be technically strong because you had to get, you had to become, you know, uh, you had to go to nuke school. You had to become a nuclear engineer and, Nobody in my family was ever an engineer. I didn't even know what an engineer was. I had to figure out what it was, but eventually I figured out, okay, well, I got to be good in math and science. I got to get into a good engineering school. And then that gives me a shot at getting to the fleet. So that's what I did. I went, uh, I had pretty decent uh, scores in, in high school. I wasn't valedictorian, but I was good enough to get into a good engineering school. And then I got accepted into the nuclear power program, which is a whole thing that you have to go and interview with an admiral and all this stuff. And then um, I got accepted in the submarine force. So when I graduated, I got a chance to go to go to nuke school in Orlando, where you're where you're at in, in your area. Went to nuke school in Orlando, went to prototype in Connecticut, submarine school. Then I went to the fleet. I was on the USS Tennessee uh, and I spent uh, five years as a naval officer on the USS Tennessee. So I got to carry out a young kid's dream, which few people do, you know, well, you're, you're a firefighter, so you know that a lot of kids say, I want to be a firefighter, I want to be a police officer, I want to be an astronaut, I want to be a fighter pilot. Very few of those kids ever do those things. I'm one of those kids that said I wanted to be a naval officer on a submarine, and I got to do it, which is really cool to do like your life, uh, like a childhood dream. And I never forgot that. Those five years to me were was just, you know, something that I, I and cherish, and I'm so glad I did. Walk me through the transition of, of leaving the Navy and becoming an entrepreneur and a, a leader in business. Yeah, it's a very hard thing when you step off that submarine. You know, I was maybe 25, 26 years old, and I was in charge of billion dollars of assets. My last job on the submarine, I was the strategic missile officer, which meant I was in charge of 24 nuclear missiles, right? at in my mid 20s right and so i left i left and i went to go work at a large global company as an associate design engineer which by the way is a is a nice title for you're the lowest man in the engineering department right and i they gave me a cubicle and a stapler and, and it took them a month to get me a computer but i went from being in charge of like billions of dollars and 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 dangerous things with men that are highly capable to a cubicle and it was it was really hard for me and i think a lot of people getting out of the military find that too there's a brotherhood right and, and it, at the time there were no women on submarines so when i say a brotherhood it really was a brotherhood there were no women on board there was this brotherhood that, that there was a bond that we had with my shipmates that when i left the military it was really hard uh to 
you know, that bond was missing. It wasn't a 24 seven thing anymore. You know, you worked during the day, you went home at night, you had your weekends off. And I just found it to be incredibly boring. I was like, this is it. This is what life is. I mean, how boring is this? And, um, but then I realized what I learned in the military, I could apply to business life, which was when you got to a submarine, you're what's called unqualified. And they had an interesting name call. They called you a nub. And a nub meant you were a non-useful body. And so you were useless until you get you got qualified as a, as a submariner. So when you got fully qualified, it takes about a full year once you get to the boat before you're fully qualified and you get to what's called your dolphins. And that's your warfare pan. And that submarine dolphins means you're submarine qualified. You're an officer that can, you can operate, operate a nuclear submarine. When you have those dolphins on your chest, you're somebody, right? Everybody respects you everybody knows you have their back, right? Because you're fully qualified in all watch stations. Well, I took that idea into the civilian world with me. I'm like, all right, how do I become qualified in this company? How do I learn these things? Because no one's teaching me. They sort of stuck me in a cubicle and left me alone. And so I, I, I ended up developing my own way of learning, uh, learning what this company did. And just like the Navy, in the Navy, I started in the engine room as a nuclear engineer, and I worked my way up to the front of the boat where I you know, operated as officer of the deck. I did the same thing in my civilian career. I started engineering, and then I worked my way up to the front of the business because that's where it was, you know, that's where the fun is at. And that's just me. I have an engineering background. I have a degree, but I'm not, I don't like it to practice engineering. I want to drive the ship. I want to be in the front of the boat. I want to be where marketing, sales, product development, you know, I, I, uh, you know, running the financials, I wanted to be there. So what I did was I just learned everything I could about the company until I got into opportunities where I could move to the front of the boat. And in five years from when I left the military, uh, my first company gave me my first manufacturing plant. So I got my first ship, if you will, if you consider a manufacturing plant, like a ship, we had 140 people. At 32 years old, I got my first manufacturing plant. And that's when I knew I, I, this is this is what I wanted to do. It was sort of my my next mission mission in life was was running manufacturing plants. Yeah. What led you to write a book? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm an old man now, so I'm <laughs> so I'm 54 now, so I'm getting towards the end of my career, and um, you know, and I guess I think um, I'm reflecting a lot on the lessons I learned under the ocean and how I applied those lessons uh, in the companies I've run. And I just wanted to pass on that, those experience and that knowledge. Because what I found is that the, the things that I do, the things that I did in business, and I'm still doing in business, were rather unique. And, and, I've, and now as I'm older, I realize that I can trace their roots back to those fundamentals I learned in the Navy, you know, being around a crew 24 seven in a very dangerous situation where, you know, um, you may not know this, you know, listeners may not know this, but the submarines don't operate with other with other ships. You know, most ships in the Navy operate in in these convoys. So there's always a support vessel around. You have backup if you need it. Submarines offer, operate entirely alone in the middle of nowhere. We're hundreds of miles away from the nearest support ship or, or base, and we're hundreds of feet in, in the ocean. And so we have an enemy, which is seawater that is just surrounding us and, and wanting to get in and kill us and crush us like a tin can. And of course, we have the Soviets out there looking for us as well. So this was, you know, we had to depend on each other to be able to carry out the mission and get ourselves home safely. 
And that mindset of, of working together to accomplish the mission, I brought that into the, the, in my business life as well. It was always that thing. I was always, every business I ran, I was trying to build us a team to accomplish the mission and uh, meet our objectives and, and take care of, we operated as a group. And I think that, that fundamental mindset came from those days under the ocean. So uh, just sort of translated throughout my entire business career. But um, yeah, six years ago, I, I'd spent 22 years working for three global companies. And then six years ago, I, I hung up my corporate hat and I started my own company, my own manufacturing company, because I really wanted to see if I could do it, you know, that I could build something from scratch from the ground up with all the knowledge I had, all the lessons I learned. Can I start a business? And, and, I, and I've done that. So we're six years into the business. We're still growing, still growing great. So um, yeah, so I've been able to sort of prove that one last thing in my life. Can I start a business from scratch? And I was able to do it. I, I think this is in one of your books, but where you talk about why tough times are so important in a leader's career development. Um, yeah. Well, first, which book is that in? <laughs> it's in, and, um, so yeah, I've written, I've written three books now and um, uh, my third book just came out and it just barely hit the bestsellers list. So I'm excited about that. Uh, and, uh, that's called you have the watch, but, um, so the book that, um, that I, the book, that's my passion. That was really the book I really wanted to write. And, uh, you know, you're an author, so, you know, you have a book in you. And the one I wanted to write is called all in the same boat. It's this free, if you're watching on video, it's behind me, but all in the same boat. It, and, um, that's really stories from my Navy days and my business life. And, in, and it's separated by eight major lessons. And I talk about that in that book. So, the, the idea that, um, you know, the, the tough times, and I say celebrate the tough times, the tough times really make us who we are as leaders. We need those tough times. And, um, you know, really, I start this story uh, in a parallel story between my grandfather and me. And it's really wild. Um, at 24 years old, I was in the Atlantic, North Atlantic, in a major storm um, uh, we were going up to a patrol area in the North Atlantic, heavy winter storm to where we were getting thrashed about left and right, um, I, I, heavy, heavy, heavy seas. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, my, my grandfather was 24 years old in the same area of the Atlantic Ocean in a major battle uh, 40 years earlier. He was um, 24 years old. We were the same exact age. It was the same area in the Atlantic Ocean. And he was in a battle between, um, so in, in his case, U.S. intelligence believe, believed that there were so, uh, German submarines coming to the East Coast with, with missiles on them to, to attack Boston and New York City. And so there was this operation called Operation Teardrop, and my grandfather's ship was part of that to try to stop these 25 U-boats uh, coming across the ocean. And my, my grandfather's ship, the USS Frost, got into a battle with a sister ship, USS Stanton, against two German U-boat submarines in the middle of a massive winter storm. And uh, at the end of the, they, they battled all night long. And at the end of the night, they sank both those German submarines. And if you know anything about submarine and ship, op, ship battles, the submarines almost always win. It's very rare that the ships win. So, but those, that experience my grandfather went through, it changed him as a person. He was the most relaxed, calm, easygoing person you've ever met in your whole life. And that's because nothing in his life was ever as hard as what he went through in that winter storm. And the same thing with me, that 
the tough times I faced in the military, that winter in the North Atlantic was the toughest thing I'd ever went through. And uh, nothing in my Navy career was, was ever even, even remotely close like that. It was never that difficult. So when you have those tough times, it sets a new standard for you. You say to yourself, if I got through that, I can get through anything, you know? It, 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 it's that high water mark in your life where you say, this is something that, that I've, I've done something really difficult and I've overcome it. And, and nothing else looks that hard anymore. Even my civilian life, there's nothing that ever been as hard as my life in the Navy. So it, it, you know, where some of my colleagues would be panicking when the numbers didn't look good or some customer was upset, I would just smile at it because I'm like, okay, it's not as bad as being in the North Atlantic in the middle of a massive winter storm, right? So, you know, and, and you know, the, the movie, The Perfect Storm or the book, The Perfect Storm. So, so this is virtually the same area six months before that storm occurred. So that's roughly to tell you how nasty it was. So, um, but my point is, is that those, these tough times, right? They really create this new benchmark for your life and that you can, you, it gives you something where you look back and say, I, I, if I have achieved that, I can achieve anything. The other thing is, and you know this, when, as a firefighter, when you go through those tough times with a group of people, you have this bond that's something special. You know, when you've when you've stood shoulder to shoulder with with your colleagues for a really tough time, these these are friends for life. These are people that when they have your back and you and you have their back, you build this bond. And so even in business, when I've gone through some really rough patches in business, those connections became tighter with the people that I was shoulder to shoulder with in those tough times. So nobody wants to go through tough times. But when we go through them, we really come out stronger. And so, you know, I always say if you're in the middle of if you're, if you're right in the middle of hell, you, and it's, it's okay. You know, it's all right. You know, learn those lessons and, and, you know, they, what do they say in the military? Embrace the suck, right? Because you're going to gain something out of that experience. So don't, don't, don't be wishing for the good times. Just be wishing to be strong enough that you can get through the current time. So, Hey, there it is. Embrace the suck. <laughs> so you're a rucker too. I see. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so I think those are really important in our lives. And I'm, I'm thankful for the tough times I've had in my life because it's made me who I am today. One of the things that I, I really love about history, you know, reading about some of history's greatest leaders and, and looking at who they were before they were somebody. Yeah. And the mistakes that they made some of them really, really big mistakes that yeah. you would think would be career ending and they would just kind of disappear, but that's not who they were. Yeah. And having that grit and I, I think mindset of saying, okay, this, this experience isn't going to define me. I'm going to use this experience as a lesson or uh, you know, the foundation of something great. Um, and this is how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to move forward. I'm going to just keep on getting back up and dusting myself off. And I'm, I'm going to keep pushing forward. And that, that ability to overcome adversity, like you, like you were saying, it gives you this sense of you now know that you're capable of so much more than you yeah. thought you were. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I think you need to be tested, right? You know, um, 
you know, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? I think it's that. And, then, and when, you've, when you've been punched in the face, you're like, all right, that's what that feels like. <laughs> so now I can, I know what to do next, right? I mean, I think, <laughs> I think those, it's, it's okay to, to have those rough times because I think we become stronger, you know, over those things. And I know for, for me personally, it's given me a lot of confidence. I, I, I would say this is like, like I told you, my grandfather was like the calmest guy I ever knew. And, 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 and now that I know a lot of his story in World War II, it makes a lot of sense as to why he was the way he was. Nothing rattled his cage because you couldn't rattle his cage any more than was rattled that night in the Atlantic uh, going up against two German U-boats. There's just nothing that could have been like that. So, and I think we can be that way as leaders as we test ourselves and we, we overcome these challenges. We can be that you know, I mean, uh, in a bad storm, right? What do you want on, at the helm? You want you want the captain that's got the, that's 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 grizzled, right? He's got a little salt in his teeth. You know, he's been through storms. He knows how to handle it. And and I think when it comes to business, when the tough times come, that's when everyone looks at you as the leader, and they're like, "What are you going to do about this? You know, how are you going to get us through this?" They want the they want that grizzled captain that has those experiences that say, you know, say it's all right, we're going to get through this, this is how we're going to do it. And, and they want to have someone that's been through the tough times. So, and, and these guys can trust the leader to, to lead them out of the tough situation. So yeah, tough times are, you know, nobody seeks them out, but they are really important for our careers and to, in our personal development. Since my background is in firefighting and, <laughs> uh, you know, you talk about how firefighting on a submarine is a, a powerful analogy for business leaders. And for those listening that, that aren't familiar with the Navy, you know, every sailor is trained on shipboard firefighting, but it's something completely different in a submarine. So yeah, I, I, I want to hear this just as much as the people listening. So <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting thing on a submarine, you know, uh, and, and for those listening, you know, you, you know that if there's a fire in a building like your office or school, um, you, you, um, you, you know, what are you taught to do? Well, evacuate the building and call 911, right? So you get out of harm's way and let the professionals fix the problem, right? Put out the fire, the guys that are the professional firefighters, right? Uh, on a submarine, there was no that luxury. Like I mentioned, we were operated alone out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, no support craft in sight. When there's a fire, we don't run away. We run towards the fire. So, uh, in fact, my first job uh, on board, my as, as, as an officer, as a junior officer, my job was to get to wherever the fire was as quickly as I could, take charge of the firefighting, make contact, get in contact with Damage Control Center, and, and operate the firefighting team until I was relieved by the executive officer. So the, the executive officer would, would, would be the next guy to come in charge. But my job was to get there first, organize and fight the fire. So think about it. We're trained uh, to, to, to go against our natural instincts. Our natural instincts are to run away from a fire. But in the Navy, we're taught to run towards the fire. So the analogy that works really good with, with um, you know, with businesses, I noticed when I got into the civilian world, when I was working for these big companies, every time there was a problem, people would move away from the problem. I noticed that everybody was like, "Ooh, I don't want to get involved with that, uh, that customer complaint, that product defect, 
that cost problem. People were like, because everybody was all about career preservation. So I don't want to get, you know, wrapped around that particular problem. You know, I got to watch out for my career, my paycheck, my family. I got to keep going to college, all these reasons. So what I notice is when there's, when there's problems, a lot of times in organizations, people move away from the problems. And then what happens? Those problems tend to be like small fires. They get bigger over time and eventually get to the point where they can really damage the reputation of the company, the profitability of the company, uh, you know, the customer relationships. And time after time in my, in, in, in my 22 years in corporate, I saw problems that were allowed to grow and fester and, and, and weren't, weren't, were unchallenged create very bad situations. In fact, most of the tough things I dealt with in business were because there were small problems that weren't, weren't taken care of when they were small. So in, in the book, All in the Same Boat, I have a whole chapter called Run to the Fire. And it's the idea that in business, we have to run towards where the problem is and we've got to put it out while it's still small before it grows into something that can hurt our business, hurt our employees. We got to move to those fires quickly and uh, we got to create a culture that where we move towards problems, not away from problems. And that, you know, the businesses I've run, we've always tried to have that mentality that that we we want to move towards problems. We want to celebrate those that are good at at, at finding them and, and taking action to make sure things don't grow. And so I think that's part of the analogy is, is take care of problems before they get they get out of control. And uh, like I said, you have to go against your natural instincts of career preservation. Oh, you know. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to get involved with that, right? But you, you got to move towards it. And, you know, one business, I took over one business um, uh, towards the latter part of my career. And um, uh, so I was the new new vice president, general manager of this division. I came in and I noticed all this high warranty cost, all these high customer concession costs. And I'm like, what is going on? And, and we had a product that, that was failing in the field and it had been failing in the field for like five years. And so we were just kept, we kept, shipping out new product and, and sending customer, you know, uh, extending warranties and things like that. It turns out there was a serious prop defect with the product that hadn't been addressed and everybody knew about it, but nobody was, everybody was too afraid to tackle the issue. And uh, when I discovered it and dug deep about it and tried to figure out the best way to solve it, realized that there was no quick and easy fix. So I ended up, I ended up canceling and stopping that entire product. I, I, we shut down the product line. We stopped selling it. And I went and visited personally with every one of the customers and set up a plan for that, for us to be able to take care of their existing product in the field. But it was a major disaster because we didn't attack the problem when it was small. So it cost, cost this company I worked for millions and millions of dollars because we ignored a problem that allowed it to, to burn out of control. And unfortunately, I was the guy that had to do the cleanup work. So I called it the great apology tour. I, I had to travel around the country apologizing to all these major electric utilities. And it, it was not a fun job, but uh, that left an imprint in me that I, I would never do, you know, never allow that to happen on my watch. Well, that's a really cool story. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, as a firefighter, you know that, right? I mean, you've got to you've got to attack the problem. Well, you, there's a lot more strategy to firefighting than I than I'm a, that I know compared to what you know. But um, but you're it's about attacking the problem when it's small before you allow it to get out of control. And I think that's that's it was a big thing in the Navy. You've got to get that 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 fire out quickly because it'll it'll damage weapons. It'll fill the you know the hull full of smoke. It's gonna it's gonna kill sailors. You got to get that thing out quickly. There's a the thing that I like to do with guests where 
I, I, I've kind of like looked at uh, people's lives and, and the lessons that they learn in these three phases of life. And, and I ask what the most important lesson they learned in each of those phases. And the first phase would be like from birth until graduating high school. Um, and then from that point till, you know, you're in your, your professional career and you're learning those lessons and cutting your teeth. And, and there's some really valuable lessons that you learn during that time, you're making mistakes and all that. And then the, the third phase is where you're at now, where you're yeah. able to look back and take these lessons, put them together and help other people either pick themselves up or learn those lessons before they actually have to make a mistake. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's that's true. I think I'm in that third phase where I, where I feel like it's important to pass it on. I mean, I have my my mission is to build a world with better bosses. You know, that's what I do in my podcast. I do my books. Um, I try to to teach the next generation. I do I teach at a lot of colleges where I go and teach uh, graduate programs. Where I I come in and do a leadership lecture lecture in a graduate program. Um, but it's all about you know building a world with better bosses. I saw too many really bad leaders throughout my entire career. And uh, I just want to share those lessons I learned over the years, the, you know, the scars, the wounds, the bruises, I want to get those out there so that people can learn, you know, what are some what are some things I should be doing in different situations. So yeah, I think I'm in that phase of my life where I'm, it's about, uh, an, it's a new mission, really. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur, a successful entrepreneur, that business, it's, it's a big part of my life. But but this whole podcasting and writing is all about, um, you know, is, is sharing that knowledge and that wisdom as I get a little older, you know, I get a little bit of gray in my beard. So, <laughs> well, what, what would be, you know, if you were talking to your children and you're, you're passing on the, this wisdom to them, the, the, the biggest lesson that you learned in your early life, and then the biggest lesson you learned you know, as a young adult, and then maybe what lesson would you want to pass on to somebody that's in the same phase of life as you and a lesson that you've learned in, in trying to pass on this information to other people? Yeah, I think early on in my life is um, I, I suffered from imposter syndrome quite a bit. Um, I, you know, I grew up in a small town in New Hampshire um, and I went on to become you know, I, I went on to do some pretty amazing things, but every time I was in a new challenge, I felt like I didn't belong. Um, I felt like, you know, someone made a mistake. I really shouldn't be here, especially when I got to Nuke Power School. That was probably where I was looking around at like graduates of Stanford, MIT, and all these great engineering schools. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm going to get crushed here, you know? And, and I think the lesson I would say is that, you know, if you're in a position, if you've been accepted and you've been moved to a certain role, uh, don't don't act like you you shouldn't be there. You you belong there. You know, someone someone felt you had the skills, the talent to be there. So, you know, it, watch out for that imposter syndrome, because I think it can. Uh, there's two things. One, it can, it can bring you down and doubt who you are. But the other thing is, I think what I learned to do is I used it a little bit as a chip on my shoulder. So I was out to prove 
that some kid from New Hampshire that didn't belong here could could still do it. So it, it for me it was fire. It motivated me to to go, you know, to 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 um, to to prove to everybody I could I deserve to be there. But I think um, it could could just as easily been something that um, shut me down as well. So, but but that's a, that's a real thing. Imposter syndrome is a real thing. I definitely experienced it uh, in my early early days. So um, just watch out for that. You know, as I got older, I would say as I got into business and I started running operations, I as a young factory manager, I thought I needed to know all the answers. So I thought that the the general manager, the guy in the corner office had to have all the answers, had to be the smartest person in the room. And uh, I think the big thing I learned in my first plant was that I didn't have to have all the answers, that, that, that the people around me actually had a lot of all, everything I need to, needed to know to make the right decisions, but I had to tap into that resource. So I think um, humbling myself a bit and being able to uh, listen to others and, you know, seek, seek the more experienced employees, uh, the people that have seen things before. And so I think I, I made that shift from being like, oh, I have to have all the answers to, I have to have all the right questions and be willing to listen. So that was a big transition of mine. Um, and I think probably the latest thing in life is that, um, that I've been learning and I really appreciate is that um, I appreciate freedom more than I do money. So, you know, I think when you're younger, you're sort of chasing, chasing money and you're chasing a career and you're trying to do best. I had young, you know, I had two boys, uh, make sure I save for college, you pay the mortgage, you know, do my, do my role as, as a, as a father, as a husband, um, and uh, you're, you're kind of making money and you're continuing to get promoted. But once I left corporate, I, I felt like free for the first time in my life. I really felt like, oh, if I want to sleep in, I can, even though I never do. But I mean, I, I can do what I want to do and I can lead the way I want to. I can treat my people the way I want to. I can take vacations when I want to. Uh, and I, I really felt a freedom that I never had before. So I think I've always been, I was always been working for somebody. I was in the military. I was working for big companies. I was very dutiful. And I was always, I was the guy that would get things done and people depended on me. And I think for the first time I've seen freedom. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's something that I've learned the last few years that I can really appreciate that I, that I appreciate my freedom more than I more than anything else. So the freedom to write books and have podcasts and do these sort of things, which is, and meet amazing people like you is, is, is what I enjoy to do doing now. So I'm not chasing the next promotion or the next pay. Uh, you know, I've got to where that's not as important to me as my time with my family, my wife, well, we're, we're empty nesters now with my wife and my two golden retrievers and the vacations we take. And that's, that's important to me now. So. John, thank you so much for, for having this conversation with me and sharing so much of your life with, uh, with the audience. And um, for those listening, what's the best way for people to connect with you, to listen to your podcast, purchase your books? Um, yeah. yeah, everything's on, on my website. It's johnsrenny.com and uh, everything is there. The podcast is Deep Leadership, but there's links on the website for that. But um yeah, johnnessrenny.com, you know, there, there's ways, ways to reach me on there. I'm pretty heavy in social media. Uh, Twitter is where I spend a lot of my time. So, um, and it's John S. Rennie on Twitter too. So reach out to me there. 
Um, I've met a lot of cool people on Twitter. I've, I've actually physically have met a lot of the people I've, I think are cool on Twitter. I physically have gone out and have, and I have relationships in the real world with those people. So Twitter can be a pain in the butt, but also can be an amazing tool. So reach out to me on Twitter or my website. All right. Well, I will have a link to your website and you have a, a Twitter link on, on your website, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. All the links are there. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I will have a a link to your website in the show notes. So everybody listening, you can, once you're done listening to this episode, go to the show notes, click on the link and, and you'll be able to learn a whole lot more about John there. So thanks again, John. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them. And the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.